The San Jose Sharks have gone wild in the offseason. John, can you explain to me what I just watched? Well, that is a bunch of San Jose Sharks dancing at Thomas Hurdle's wedding that just happened over the weekend. And a lot of them don't have their shirts on. Uh-huh. Why? Why not? <laughs> Good point. Good point. It is the summer after all. It, it, it could be a, a tribute to uh, shirtless Joe Thornton. Oh, okay. Well, was, uh, was, was shirtless question. Joe Thornton there? Yeah. No, he's not. Hmm. He's not. We, we okay. know what he threatened to do uh, if he scored four goals, so hopefully he was just shirtless. <laughs> well, you don't know the story of shirtless Joe Thornton? Well, yes. You do. I think sure? I do, but please share it. Well, he was walking around uh, downtown Pittsburgh with Brent Burns, and he just had his shirt off walking walking around. And a year later, the club ended up doing a bobblehead of a shirtless Joe Thornton. <laughs> mm. um, I really hate the Baby Shark song. So what yes. was that about? Why were they playing that? That I have no idea. Okay. But it's going to be stuck in everybody's <laughs> head now. Yes. <laughs> Not mine. <laughs> You're all welcome. <laughs> Sound of Hockey episode 44, we are calling this one the Chris Pronger episode. Uh, there's a guy that everybody really loved, right, if he wasn't on your team, right? Oh, yeah. Yep. Have I told you my Chris Pronger experience? No. Didn't you, like, bump into him in an elevator I have, or something? I have run into in an elevator? him in various, well, in various random places. Like, I ran into him in Fort Lauderdale at the draft, uh, and then I ran into him. He's been at the Show Center scouting a couple times, and then I ran into him uh, at the draft in Vancouver on the floor of the draft. I walked by him, I'm like, and we passed each other once again. It's like you're meant to be. Yep. <laughs> we only had one brief conversation. Is this whole reason we're calling it for episode 44, the Chris Pronger episode, so that you can share that you your story about him? Is that I, the deal? I, I did not name this the Chris Pronger episode. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Prove, I, I it. Take, Prove it. I take credit for last week's uh, uh, Quentin Hughes uh-huh. uh, episode, but not this one. Yeah. Uh, so it is Sound of Hockey episode 44. We are not coming to you from Bardown Studios because of a scheduling conflict. We decided to record whoa, remotely whoa, today. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What? I'm at Bardown Studios. John is in Bardown cre- Studios. It's creepy without you guys. It really is. <laughs> <laughs> You're just talking in a basement by yourself. It's like a vacuum. Yeah. If if John records a podcast in Bardown Studios, but nobody's around to hear it, does it actually happen? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we're all we're all in satellite studios today. Yes. Uh, anyway, so we're going to start with a review, as we like to do. This one comes from Stitcher. Uh, it's a five star review from Marshan Sucks nine forty seven. It says. <laughs> Okay. Five-star hockey pod. John, Darren, Andy put a great podcast. NHL, Junior, University, International, Ice, Front, Back Office, etc. Not sure what that means. Once a week, my favorite <laughs> goalkeeper corner. Thumbs up. Yes. Very good. Yeah. Uh, keep pulling <laughs> out all the great products, even during summer dog days. Go to the junk Itachi written in English. Google Translate to Japanese and back to English. Wow. All right. I don't know. Uh, it's it's like code. Yeah, I, love that. I got a little Marsh- lost, but I think <laughs> I think what this might be is perhaps somebody who is uh, overseas that listens to our podcast. And if that's the case, then uh, it makes awesome. me very happy. So uh, thank you very much for the five star review. Marshan sucks wherever you may be. Keep listening, because I think you might hear an impromptu goalie gear corner in this episode. You might, yes. And in fact, <laughs> that's a great segue to remind us that we did have uh, an awesome guest in this episode, Jesse Granger, who is the beat writer for uh, the Vegas Golden Knights for The Athletic. Super, super cool guy. We met him at the draft very briefly 
and uh, he was very gracious with his time and, and gives, gives a great interview. So uh, definitely stick around for that because it's a, it's a fun, fun conversation, some good Seattle parallels uh, with him and lots of fun to be had. So uh, we're going to start with some off-season storylines that we think we need to keep an eye on. There hasn't been obviously like a ton of news here. We're getting into that point where it's I don't know if I'd quite say the dog days of summer, but in terms of the hockey world, kind of the dog days of summer. But, yeah, <laughs> July so, usually is it. Things quiet down in July. Exactly. Uh, but so, oh, and by the way, I'm Darren Brown at Darren Fun Brown on Twitter, joined by Andy Ide. Hello, Andy. How's it going? I'm at Andy Ide on Twitter. And John, John Barr. Hello, everybody. I'm NHL2 Seattle on Twitter. Okay, so those off-season storylines we mentioned, we thought it'd be a good idea to just kind of have a conversation about the things that we're expecting to come up here in the last couple of months of summer. John, let's start with you. What are you keeping an eye on? You know, I'm kind of keeping an eye on the NWHL, um, particularly their free agent signings over the next couple of months. Um, as you know, there's there's been kind of a little bit of a, a boycott issued by some of the former NWHL players or the, the players that played last year in an effort to kind of force force the league's hand to fold and then potentially have the NHL come in and, and create a league. But that's, that's really not happening on a mass scale right now. And, and players are signing. So all the, all the current NWHL clubs have been signing players and that's when they do it during July and August. So it looks like NWHL is not going anywhere and that they're going to have a league next year, which is, um, you know, it's, it's kind of a tough, tough thing um, because I want to support, both sides and everybody's kind of intent is pure. But I think keeping an eye on the NWHL signings is going to be an interesting storyline that I'm kind of monitoring over the over the summer. Very good. Andy, what are you keeping your eye on? Well, kind of locally here, we're still kind of got our radar out for whether or not NHL Seattle is going to be hiring a general manager this summer. They, they've kind of, you know, hinted that they're looking – um, you know, at the at the draft, Todd Lewicki said that someone asked what the time timeline was for that. Said, well, as soon as we find somebody, that's the timeline. Uh, we don't know really the names. There's been a couple tweets out there about Ron Francis, who uh, used to be the general manager for the Hurricanes and a longtime NHL player, that he is a name that people are starting to whisper about, but we haven't heard anything really uh, substantial about that yet. So that's a name that's out there. We'll just stay tuned on that. Uh, you know, they they've been pretty quiet about how close they are or how far away they are from from hiring somebody. It feels it feels like it's going to happen though. Like it, it does. You kind of you kind of get that momentum feeling, but yeah, and almost like it's it either happens in the next two weeks or it doesn't happen till like well into the season. That's that's yeah. kind of my gut, but I you know I don't know. This it's the first time we've been doing this, so who knows? Well, yeah. and they they've done a pretty good job of of saying stuff without saying stuff. So if you try to read between the lines, you know it, it does sound like well maybe they are you know they're they're, they're looking at it. They they're hiring people to look at it. Um, and, and they did say they've been talking to people, but wouldn't leak any names. So, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Um, the thing that I'm keeping my on my eye on, and uh, I do wonder with the Sebastian Ajo offer sheet that came out last week. And yes, we talked about it briefly. Uh, but I do wonder if there's going to be more of these because this feels like one of those seasons where they're really ripe for the picking. Um, and if you're not familiar with how this process works, Offer sheets are basically, they're, they're granted to people who, uh, to players, I should say, who are on their restricted free agency, meaning their entry-level contract has come to an end. So basically, they can only negotiate with their existing team, but 
an outside team can come in and essentially try to like steal them away with an offer sheet. So Sebastian Ajo was given an offer sheet. Uh, he signed it, meaning that had Carolina decided not to match it, then they would have gotten him, but they would have had to sacrifice. I think it's three draft picks that they have to give up. Yeah, so, including, including a first rounder. Yeah. My expectation is that there, we're going to see at least one more. I'm guessing this, right? Or I think we're going to see at least one more this summer because there's some really big names out there that have their entry-level contract up in, in RFA status. So Patrick Laine of the Jets is one of those. Mitch Marner has been um, rumored to be asking for something like $11 million. So he's mm-hmm. he's been a very hot topic in Toronto. Braden Point in Tampa Bay had a great season. And so people think that, you know, they have cap issues. So they think that he could have a hard time signing. Um, Miko Rantanen, who we talked about a ton and who's just an absolute stud down in uh, Colorado. And then Kyle Connor and Matthew Kachuk are out there too. So uh, you wonder, I mean, teams that are, that are cap strapped and have these superstar young kids that are you know expecting to get gigantic gigantic raises they may not be able to get under get them under the cap and it is a good time to to send some offer sheets these um towards these kids it's been a while since since you've seen a lot of offer sheets or really any offer sheets because it's, it's kind of an f you to other teams and i think there's been some some fear of well if i do this and someone's gonna you know come after one of my guys and do it and I kind of, I kind of like it. I think it adds a little extra juice to the summer, and you know, I hope I hope we see one. Uh, I was a little disappointed in that Aho one that it wasn't a better uh, offer, but uh, it got resolved quickly. But we'll we'll see what happens. The Marner one, there's a lot of stuff swirling out there. Some of it's unbelievable. You gotta, you know, when you're on Twitter, you gotta take everything with a grain of salt sometimes. But that would be the big one if if, if somebody were to sign him. Mm-hmm. Well, in the and if you read between the lines here, if if people don't have offer sheets, the player doesn't have that much leverage. Yeah, and and so they're kind of like locked into whatever the team's going to offer. Now, last year, if you remember, um, uh, William Nylander held out because mm-hmm. he did not get a good offer from Toronto or the offer that that he was expecting. He held out till like December, I believe, right yeah. up until the the last last minute he could sign. That's the only leverage they have if these offer sheets aren't kind of in play. And like you said, Darren, they, they haven't been in play. We haven't seen a lot of them. So there is a lot of talk this year, but and we obviously saw one with Sebastian Ajo, but um, hopefully we'll see another one. Yeah. I Hopefully we do see another one just because they're fun, right? Like, yes. yeah. it'll, it'll no other chaos and There's not a whole lot else going on in July in the hockey world. So yeah, yeah. Let's heat it up. And the other thing to kind of keep an eye on is the CBA talks. So obviously no one uh. wants to see another lockout, but I this is something that I actually hate paying attention to, but it's definitely yeah. worth keeping an eye on because as hockey fans, it <laughs> does kind of impact all of us and and really our lives right because that is what we spend our winters doing is watching hockey yes. so if, <laughs> if there's another lockout yeah. i don't know what i'm gonna yeah. do with myself. And, and i'm just devastating I'm just, yeah. I'm just warning people there's a lockout this podcast becomes all whl all the time oh man <laughs> well and like let's hold on let's back up a bit so the fact that they're talking now is really good because this cba doesn't technically expire until next season so it's uh, 2021 True, yeah, good point. season. So they're actually talking because if they don't want to extend it, I think they need to let the other side know in September. So the fact that they're talking now is kind of a preemptive approach for something that essentially is 15 months down the road. Now, that's a lot of mumbo jumbo, and let's not talk about this unless we really have to. But <laughs> for the most part, it's good that they're talking now and not like the deadline's like right around the corner. Could you imagine if the only thing we have to talk about other than WHL is just like the updates on like, whether or not they've locked out? Like, well, yeah. it's episode 112. They're still locked or, out. More meetings. Or and, more meetings. And we're, we're on day 112. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
if you're a new hockey fan, you're, you're be thankful that you that you've uh, skipped some of the painful lockouts that went on forever, seemingly in the Ugh, past. Disgusting, horrible, dark times for every hockey yep. fan out there. It's no longer the talk about this subject. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and may we and may we never talk about it again. Uh, we'll move on now to our interview with uh, the Athletics' Jesse Granger. We now welcome on to Sound of Hockey, the beat writer for The Athletic for the Vegas Golden Knights. So he obviously witnessed that whole expansion process firsthand. Uh, He's formerly writer at the Las Vegas Sun. And uh, we are very pleased to welcome on to Sound of Hockey, Jesse Granger. Jesse, thanks for joining us. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. All right, so we're going to talk some Vegas stuff. Now, I actually am going to be in Vegas in uh, in a few days here. I just, first of all, I want to know what the secret is to not melting in the desert sun. And is the answer just drinking a lot? Well, drink a lot and drink a lot of water. Oh, okay. And, <laughs> and I mean, we've got the best pools in the world, so mm-hmm. plenty of places to uh, cool off down down here and the, the weather's not as bad as you, you, you think about it. When you, when you, when you get here and you, you start having fun, you won't even remember how hot it is. Yeah, 106 <laughs> but dry, so that's good. Um, okay, so let's talk about your, your hockey roots a little bit. And I, I know we chatted a little bit at the draft, and I think you said that you uh, either haven't covered hockey forever or, uh, or you haven't been a hockey fan forever. Or what was the, what was the growth into becoming a hockey writer? Well, um, I, I mean, I've played hockey since I could walk, basically, okay. in Colorado. I grew up in Colorado Springs. Um, um, kind of near the Air Force Base, near the Olympic training facility. And, and I played pos- hockey. What position? A goalie. Oh, good man. Good man. I've been a goalie. I've, I haven't played out since I was eight years old. I still play beer league hockey to this day, uh-huh. um, four or five times a week during the off season when I'm not traveling. So um, still a goalie um, every night. But uh, so I, so I, yeah, so I was, I mean, hockey has always been part of my life. And like, I was a huge avalanche fan growing up. I was uh Let's see. I was five when they won it in 96 and I was 10 when they won it in 01. So um, right during their glory years was kind of my first years as a hockey fan. So I was a huge hockey fan. Um, Then I moved to Vegas when I was 17 or 16, still in high school. Um, Still watched hockey from a distance, but wasn't as into it as I was in Colorado, just because in Vegas it wasn't as popular. Um, Went to college out here in Vegas, got a job at the local paper covering high school football and the stuff that the new guy at the paper covers. I got to do a little box and UFC out here in Vegas and then we got a hockey team and I was just kind of the logical guy for the job because I was one of the only people in town that had played hockey knew the sport so it was a great fit um it jump-started my career and Mm -hmm. probably helped me skip a few steps in the middle so um it was awesome yeah did was that always like a, a dream of yours to cover hockey or was it like wow this actually just makes a lot of sense for me and so you kind of fell into it yeah no not really um, I, I also played football and, and I, like I said, I was covering high school football and I covered UNLV football team, um, while I was working for the school paper in college. So I was kind of thinking more, my career was trending more towards football. Mm-hmm. Um, but hockey, I know hockey better than I know football. Um, I was a much better hockey player than I was a football player. <laughs> so I just, uh, it was, I, I got really lucky that I just happened to be working in a city that didn't know much about the sport when they got it. And so, so what was the lead up to hockey coverage at the sun before the Golden Knights played their first game. I mean, was it was it kind of casual, kind of bringing people up to speed on what hockey is, or was there more a little bit concentrated effort in talking about the specific Golden Knights franchise? Well, a little bit of both. Um, the summer of the expansion draft, so the summer leading up to the expansion draft, I did a, uh, I want to say like a 10-part series called Hockey 101, where I went from a simple 
as the rules and the lines on the ice and what they mean for people that had never watched the sport all the way to more advanced analytics, Corsi, um, the, the types of analytics that we look at as, as journalists. And then even as far as like traditions, you know, octopus in Detroit, stuff like that for people mm-hmm. that like hockey, but don't know the traditions and the, and the history of the sport. So I did, I did some of that. And then also it was, I mean, there was so much news around this team because there was obviously the NHL granting expansion and then they were building the arena. They're building the practice facility, the team name, which is what you guys are kind of going through right now. That's all anyone. I'm, I'm assuming everyone in Seattle, all they care about. Is no, no, the one's, name no one's brought it up. No one's brought no, it up. No, not once. Not once. <laughs> yeah. So so I was going through all of that um, three years ago. And and as you guys know, there's a lot of news to cover with hirings and in, in management and all that. So, I mean, there was there was quite a bit to cover. Um, it seemed like. It was just as busy back then as it is now, now that we have it. Yeah, and I think you guys were on a little bit of a compressed timeline compared to what we are with, uh, you know, we have we still have two more years to go where I think Vegas was awarded the franchise like less than 15 months before their first game. So yeah. you probably had a lot more to, to cover in a shorter amount of time. It's interesting here because we don't, there's not a lot of hockey people here in the media, right? They're covering the team from a sports franchise perspective. And a lot of people know that from covering other sports, but they don't necessarily know hockey. And so I'm sure Vegas was lucky to have you, somebody who actually knew about hockey and could write about hockey. It's good to hear. I'm, I'm just wondering for that person to emerge here. Um, but it's, it's an interesting, I'm always wondering how that lead up was. And even for me, like I knew the sport and I've played the sport and I know what's happening on the ice extremely well, but I, I had never covered a professional team. I mean, I'd covered big, I'd, I'd covered huge events like Mayweather Pacquiao, Mayweather versus McGregor, Canelo versus Triple G, a UFC 200. I'd covered big events, but never a professional team. I'd covered college and I'd covered high school, but even for me, it was still I, like, there was a learning curve there. For right. sure. Fast forward to when the season began, right? Um, obviously started on some surreal circumstances and, uh, kind of they hit the ground running but for the most part people didn't believe in the franchise early on and and I'm wondering when you started to believe that this was actually a playoff in the season oh, man so there was there were two moments there was one that was a homestand and it was I'd say about a third of the way through the season where they hosted Pittsburgh and Tampa um, not back to back but with a day in between and I can remember at that time, this, the narrative was kind of, yeah, well, this team, they're, they're riding the momentum of nobody believed in us and they've got the chip on their shoulder that their old teams kind of discarded them. And the Vegas um, But eventually, yeah, eventually that will wear <laughs> off and they'll play against teams that where the talent difference is just so big that they won't be able to make up for it and you look at Pittsburgh and Tampa and Pittsburgh were defending champs and Tampa obviously were stacked so those were the two teams that I had kind of I had told Vegas fans like watch you'll see what I'm talking about when these teams come in (laughs) and they came in and Vegas just demolished both teams (laughs) and I could not believe it and at that point I'm like all right I'm I am done doubting this team at this point (laughs) and then and then a little bit later they went on a road trip uh, it was over Thanksgiving week and I was with the team and they went to Anaheim and they went to LA and now both those teams are terrible. But at the time they were both playoff teams and they had been the strongest teams in that division and they handled both of them on the road. And I, I, at that point it's like, okay, this, this team's obviously making the playoffs. We'll see where they go from there, but they're clearly a playoff. So even you were a doubter 
at some point. Oh, for sure. I mean, we all thought they were going to be the worst team. Even after yeah. the expansion draft, we look at the roster, and it's like we thought they'd be one of the worst teams in hockey. Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember seeing seeing tweets from people just like, wow, this team is horrendous. And then, <laughs> and then they started playing. You're like, wait, they're not horrendous. What happened? <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. I even got a little bit of flack. I, I was one of the – I would say more optimistic. And I said they'd start the season five and five based off just adrenaline and the new, it's, it's a new team and it's fun. And they'll start the season five and five. And people thought I was crazy for saying they'd win five of their first 10 <laughs> games and they went nine and one. And then I got, crap for saying they were going to go five and five because I wasn't optimistic <laughs> enough. So. Before this next season, you jumped to the athletic. Uh, what, how's that, how's that uh, transition and, and uh, how different has it been from, from a newspaper beat? It's been awesome. I love it. Um, as someone who I'm, I'm, I'm really into analytics and, and I like going deep dives and I like writing really, really long stories. Um, and at the newspaper, there's time for that. And there's, I can do it occasionally. And we have a magazine at the sun that I was able to write a little more long form for, but it's very few and far between. And there's a lot more like just daily hits. Okay. This guy was sent down to the AHL. Okay. This guy was injured. This guy wasn't at practice. This guy was skating with a different line and that kind of stuff. I don't really have to worry about as much at the athletic. They let me write my 4,000 words feature they they let me go in depth because it's different audiences i mean at the paper there are a lot of people who are casual fans don't want to read two thousand words about fenwick and corsi and Mm -hmm. goals saved above average and and at the athletic with obviously people are paying money to subscribe to this they want as much as you can give them so um it's a little bit different audience i think it fits my style of writing a little better um it's a dream job i absolutely love the athletic i get to meet all my colleagues up in vancouver during the draft um absolutely best job i've ever had in my life so i couldn't say enough good things about it so so vegas uh, the the golden knights were the first major league sports team to, to call vegas home right and we hear the raiders are coming soon what kind of sports town has Vegas is is Vegas so far, and how how big do you think it can be? Oh, it's unbelievable. I mean, these fans. Um, I I am still wary on how it will be if there are if there are eight losing seasons in a row. Um, I've seen <laughs> these fans not show up for UNLV basketball games, which UNLV basketball has been the baby of this town forever since they won the championship yeah. in 1990, and lately. The attendance has been terrible for UNLV, and and the Golden Knights have contributed to that. Um, So I don't know if this is a town that will sell out no matter what, no matter how bad the team is. But when the team is good, there's no town that knows how to party and celebrate that better than Vegas. Um, It's the best atmosphere in the NHL that I've seen by a pretty wide margin. I've been to almost all of the arenas and nothing's even close to Vegas. Um, it's been amazing. I don't know if that's going to continue for football. This will always be, I think, a Golden Knights town over a Raiders town hmm. um, just because they were first. And I think more because it was new and they're they were created in Vegas. They weren't. They're not getting the Golden Knights mm-hmm. from somewhere right. else. If the if right. the Florida Panthers had moved to Vegas, it would not have been the same connection that this team has to the city. Um, they actually had a charity softball game a few weeks ago that I covered at the brand new ballpark that they just opened up for the AAA team, and it was Golden Knights players versus Raiders players, mm. up with a few celebrities thrown in there, and it was amazing how pro Golden Knights and anti Raiders the uh, <laughs> <Interesting>. <laughs> even though. Oh, that's the team they're getting in a couple years. So I'm not saying this town isn't going to like the Raiders. It's the NFL, and the NFL is king, and we all know the NFL. It's the the interest in the NFL is blows hockey out of the water. So it's I don't think the Raiders are going to struggle, but I don't think they'll ever be this town's team the same way the Golden Knights are. I, I would guess that because the NFL is so popular, that there's a lot of fans of other NFL teams already living there. That might be hard to convert. 
Yeah, the biggest issue, and 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 the, and the Golden Knights kind of thought they were going to have that issue early. I remember talking mm-hmm. to team president Kerry Bubbles, and he was saying there are so many transplants in Vegas, especially Blackhawks. There are a ton of Blackhawks. <laughs> no, they're everywhere. They're actually like a disease. Yeah. <laughs> That's about right, yeah. And but the thing is, it wasn't as hard as they thought it was going to be because they were so good, and because a lot of those fans who were fans of their team kind of I don't know weren't weren't as diehard as I think some of the football fans in Vegas. They're at the sports book every Sunday. They're watching their team. They're they're super into it. Whereas I think a lot of hockey fans were watching their team from a distance and not quite as into it. So it was easier to convert them into Golden Knights fans. Now, the Raiders are probably going to suck because they always suck. And I'm just going to assume that they're never going to be good, and I'll probably be right most of the time. So I think they will have a harder time, but I, I still don't think they're going to struggle. I mean, people are going to want to go to that stadium just to see the stadium, just to see NFL football. So they're going to do fine. I don't know if they're going to have the rabid fan base that, that the Golden Knights have created. So it's interesting. During their uh, the inaugural season, I visited Vegas too, and as an outsider, I was like, there's no way that this hockey that this town is as like focused on hockey as it seems to be right from an outsider looking in and so I made it a point to try to like talk to locals and just ask them about hockey just to see you know it's like my uber drivers you know whatever the the blackjack dealers like hey been paying attention to the team and everyone that I spoke to had like a very legitimate somewhat knowledgeable response you know like like one of my Uber drivers is like, hey, wow, yeah, the, they're so involved in the community. They're such nice guys. Like um, they've had such a such a big impact. And I just that stuck out to me as something that was like this. This is a team that came in and these guys just immediately made themselves an important part of the community. And it, that's going to help them stick for many, many years. Definitely. If there's one thing Seattle can learn from Vegas, it's community, 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 this this team. And and unfortunate circumstances gave the Golden Knights a stronger connection, and that yeah. was the October 1 shooting. And, and that was obviously horrible. And it happened a couple weeks after these guys had been to Vegas for the first time. To me, that was the most impressive part. It was like, these guys, Derek England had lived in Vegas for years, and he was really the only person with any connection to this city. And the rest of them, you got William Carlson from Sweden, and you got Pierre-Edouard Belmars from France, and Fleury's from Canada. And like nobody's from Vegas, and they'd only been here a couple weeks. And yet, when that tragedy happened, they were the first ones in line to help as much as they could. And they that bought them a lot of connection to this city that they otherwise wouldn't have had. And aside from that, they all, they're also doing, during the summer, they're all doing ball hockey uh, demonstrations at all the local boys and girls clubs. And they're out in the community doing everything they possibly can. Bill Foley, um, Golden Knights owner, he told me from the very beginning that was his number one priority. And it, it clearly has paid off because, like you said, I think that that's a huge part of Seattle can can do the same thing. Yeah, I was uh, I happened to be down there for the opening week. Uh, so the first two games of their inaugural season. And that was like one of the most emotional games I've ever been to that opening night. Um, and I've been to a lot of sporting events, but that was that was surreal. And I and and you could tell how connected instantly that the fans were with the team. And they were they were essentially one and doing that together. It was amazing. But um, so obviously Vegas hasn't done too many moves this offseason. But but any thoughts on what they've done as far as, you know, whether it be trading away Holla and Miller or 
re-signing Carlson, it sounds like they're not done either. Yeah, well, obviously, the Carlson signing was tremendous for the Golden Knights. Um, they get him at $5.9 million per year because he wanted to stay in Vegas really bad. He took a, a pretty good hometown discount there. He's worth well over $5.9 million. I'd say probably over $7 million. Um, one of the best defensive centers in hockey, and I think he's going to be a 30-goal scorer pretty consistently going forward. Um, so, great deal there. The team is in cap hell, which somehow they go from taking on all these contracts the expansion <laughs> draft to in complete cap hell in a matter of about a year and a half. So that was impressive. Um, <laughs> they obviously had to trade Eric Halla to open up some cap space. They trade Colin Miller. Those two combined to open up about $6 million in cap space, and they still don't have enough. Um, they're, they're currently, com- they're close to signing unrestricted free agent Derek England to come back, as well as restricted free agents Malcolm Subban and Jimmy Schultz, and they have to do all that plus sign Nikita Gusev, and they've only got two and a half million in cap space. So they're going to have to make another move, whether that's trading Nikita Gusev himself or trading enough players to to make room to sign Nikita Gusev. That's kind of the decision. I'm actually literally in the middle of writing a story, um, breaking down what they should do with that right now. Um, and it's a tough decision. It's a decision that will probably define this offseason for the Golden Knights and define this season. I mean, Nikita Gusev is a guy who has dominated the KHL in Russia for the last two years. He's been the best player in the world that's not in the NHL for two or three seasons. And now he's going to make his NHL debut. He could make a huge impact to the Golden Knights. It's just, can they make room for him? And do they want to lose more players? They've already lost Holland Miller. That's a big turnover. And they're probably... I mean, the two most likely players to be traded for to make room for Gusev would be Ryan Reeves and Nick Holden. So you're you're talking about a lot of turnover from one year to another, losing a lot of players. So I don't know what management's going to do, um, but it, it should be interesting to see where they go. I think this team is built to win now. I think they're one of the top three or four teams in the NHL when it comes to just top to bottom talent. And Nikita Gusev, to me, could really put them over the top for um, firepower and that forward position. You recently wrote about uh, the prospects of the Golden Knights. I knew you were at their their prospect camp. And there were two guys in your story that uh, we are familiar with up here. Uh, the first, obviously, is uh, Cody Glass, who fans around here saw play the last three years with Portland. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously, he's one of their top prospects. Uh, do you see him sticking in Vegas next season? Yeah, I think he could be. It, he if he doesn't make the team out of out of camp, which I think is still a possibility. Another another possibility to open up space to sign Nikita Gusev is to trade Cody Eakin, and Cody Glass mm-hmm. would fill the lineup. Um, if he doesn't make the the team out of camp because he's waiver exempt and it's easier to send him down to AHL than it is to possibly lose a guy who's not waiver exempt. I could see that happening, but I do think he's going to be on the short list to get called up. And the first time they have an injury at the center position, Glass will probably be the first guy up. I think he's ready. I think he'd be on almost all NHL rosters at this point. I think the Golden Knights just really like to slow play their rookies. So that's the only reason he hasn't played. Um, He's been absolutely phenomenal at every level that he's played at. I don't see why that will change. Um, He's been, obviously, as you guys said, with Portland Winterhawks, he dominated. I mean, this year he was actually bored. He was so good in that league. Um, (laughs) That was my one knock on him this year is he looked a little disinterested at times. He he certainly was disinterested. (laughs) Um, And, and, and then he goes to world juniors and he's, he's basically the top line center for team Canada. He's the leader on that team. He plays really well over there. He goes to the AHL with no pro experience, gets thrown right into the playoffs after just two or three regular season games. And he led the entire league in scoring up until the Calder cup final Um, led his team in scoring 
he's he's basically everywhere you put him, he's been dominant. So I expect him to be a really good NHL player. I'm excited for what Vegas has in Cody Glass in the future. And then the other guy is a little bit more of a long shot, I think, but one of my favorite guys, uh, Keegan Colazar, who had a had kind of a so-so year, uh, his first year in pros, but it seemed like he rebounded a little bit last year. Uh, how far away do you see him? I know you, you thought you, you mentioned that Rocky Thompson thought there was some improvement in him. Uh, where do you see his uh, his future there? Yeah, Kolasar is a guy, he kind of has changed his his image this season because at halfway through the year, he wasn't scoring in Chicago. And the year before, they had actually demoted him to the ECHL. They had sent him to Fort Wayne Comets. It didn't look like it was going to work. And even Rocky Thompson told me, like, at that point, I thought this kid doesn't have a future in the NHL. And then Rocky Thompson told him, look, I want you to lead the team in shots on goal every night. And let's just see what happens. And Kolasar basically just started firing pucks at the net and they started going in and he looks like a different player. He's always been that kind of enforcer in the AHL for that team. They've got a lot of young talent on that team and Kolasar kind of is their bodyguard sort of down there. I don't know if he'll ever be Ryan Reeves for the Golden Knights, but I think that's what he projects. Maybe William Carrier. Um, mm-hmm. he's, a, he's a physical fourth liner who does have some hands and can score if you get him in right positions, but he's probably not going to score a ton for you. I think he's got potential potential to be kind of that fill-in. Ryan Reeves has one more year left on his deal. William Carrier has one more year left on his deal. If I think the ideal fit for the Golden Knights is as one of those guys phases out, Keegan Colasar phases in. So I think he's got a potential as an NHL player. I don't know if he's ever going to have the skill to be a top six guy. He may, he may kind of be that bottom six role mm-hmm. but um, mm-hmm. he's, it's it's a lot his out his future and his outlook is a lot brighter than it was six months ago for sure like how often are you watching the ahl games in season and and even paying attention to it um i i catch them when i can when they're on tv during the regular season i watch them pretty much every time they're on during the playoffs if the golden knights had won i would have cared a lot less about <laughs> when vegas gets like like last the first season when they went to the cup final i watched zero playoff games in the AHL. Not, not a single one. This year, um, when the Golden Knights got eliminated, obviously Chicago's doing so well, the fans kind of shifted their interest. So I watched pretty much all the playoff games, and then I traveled to San Diego and covered three of them live um, for the conference final, for the Western Conference final, and did some prospect stories with those guys down there. So I, I try to mix it in. I try to watch it when I can. I, whenever the Golden Knights go to Chicago to play the Blackhawks, I usually stay an extra day or two and catch a Wolves game and hang out with the, with the prospects for a few days um so i so i do focus on them and i and i, and I think that's a uncovered niche i don't think mm-hmm. much of the local media here in vegas does cover them so i can kind of provide something different obviously that's what i'm always looking to do to try to sell subscriptions so um i think that's one way to give the fans some some more coverage that they don't get elsewhere one quick chicago question is i've always been impressed with rocky thompson as a coach uh, how, how long before you think he's uh, behind an nhl bench not long at all um i actually when i was down in san diego that was the first story i wrote was uh, I think the headline was Rocky Thompson should be the next head coach on every NHL team's radar. <laughs> um, yeah. He, he, Coached right up against Dallas Eakins, who just got the job. He was he was the goals coach, and Anaheim promoted him from their AHL team to their NHL team. Um, I thought Rocky was phenomenal all year. I think he's been really good. He's a players coach, just like Gerard Gallant here in Vegas. The players absolutely love him. They'll run through a brick wall for him, and he's he's an advanced thinking guy. He pulls his goalie um, crazy, like he he's the most aggressive goalie puller, maybe more than Patrick Wall. Like he's crazy <laughs> with the goalie, pulls, which is which is an analytical way of thinking about things to which I like um, so you got a former player who is a tough guy who has all the respect of every guy and he's also not stuck in his ways at thinking hockey is played the way he, it was when he was 
a player. So I, I really like Rocky. He's a good guy. He's a smart coach. Um, I think he's going to make a good NHL coach someday. Um, I'm a Sharks fan. And uh, <laughs> how'd you feel about the, the Vegas San Jose playoff series and, and how it all ended? It was pretty yeah. legit call, right? It was, uh, that series was a dream for me, um, from a media, I want as much interest, I want as much interest from the fans as possible from that perspective, that series could not have gone better. I mean, the trash talk between the locker rooms, we were basically just running a quote from one room to the other and getting their response and then running the response to the other room. And it was basically (laughs) that between Ryan Reeves and Joe Thornton and Evander Kane and couture and everyone just talking 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 it was fantastic the games were obviously really good themselves game seven um that was a horrible call (laughs) it was what but but (laughs) the controversy that created um i mean like without that call the interest level in that in my stories following and and all the analysis afterwards doesn't get nearly as much attention so yeah it was it was it was good i mean it's it also starts a rivalry way faster than i ever could have imagined i mean when this team started we imagined okay it's probably going to be the kings because people in la there are a lot of la people in vegas and it just seems like these cities don't get along very well la and Vegas, it's just kind of a natural rivalry between the cities. Then the Kings sucked, so that kind of ruins <laughs> the rivalry. Uh, everybody was trying to force Arizona down everyone's throats as the rivalry in the desert, and that just has no steam at all. The fans yeah. do not care about the Coyotes whatsoever. Um, and I thought it was going to be years because I kept saying it has to happen naturally. It has to be. It has yeah. to be Avalanche Red Wings. It has to be Bruins Maple Leafs. It's got to Bruins Habs. It's got to happen naturally in the playoffs. And somehow in two years they already every person in this city despises the San Jose Sharks to their very <laughs> core, um, which is fantastic. It's great. That's what makes hockey awesome, yeah. right? And mm-hmm. this opening game, it's going to be Sharks Knights at T-Mobile. That the the hype around that game is going to be amazing and the hatred between these two teams it's it's insane for it to have started this fast so while yeah it was a terrible call there's no way that that call was right they've already changed the rules to try to fix it i am not upset that it happened whatsoever because it (laughs) creates more interest around those two teams and and it's it's just good for hockey when teams have good rivalries like that you know even from a kind of a casual fan interest i remember going into the office the next day and so many people came up and and talk to me about it, right? And that that are not like hardcore hockey fans like myself, and they're yep. and they they don't really get the nuance of the rule or or why it was a bad call, but they were just like blown away at what happened. And you know, in a way, it's good for hockey, right? Now you don't really want controversial calls, like promote controversial <laughs> yeah. calls, but at the same time, it's like well, it opportunity presents itself, and you take advantage of it. So um, I think it, it was a uh, it was a crazy crazy uh, game, obviously, and bizarre. And I, I totally agree with you about the rivalry. Yeah, no, it's great. Um, okay, we're gonna move into buy seller hold in just a minute, but before we do, I have one more question for you. You cover some pretty big uh, personalities there on the Vegas roster. <laughs> is there a particular guy that sticks out as your favorite guy to cover? Um, well, Ryan Reeves is always fun. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's phenomenal in the locker room. He's a hilarious guy. Nate Schmidt is obviously really good. The one. Guy guy who I became really good friends with during the season and and just he's he's really good at explaining the game and breaking down why something's happening on the rink um, is Pierre Edouard Belmar and mm-hmm. he he left as a UFA he signed a two-year deal in Colorado yeah. um, which is great for him and his family he was he was a really good guy in the locker room um, that will be missed by all the journalists covering that team because he is a phenomenal <laughs> quote um, Nate Schmidt is the one that everybody points to because he's hilarious Alex Tuck is a really is a really good quote this locker room is phenomenal I've been very lucky to get this 
this room. Part of what George McPhee wanted when he was building the the expansion, he told me a lot that he was drafting play, people and not just players. And uh, I think it's turned out it's worked well. And obviously the winning helps. Locker rooms are always better when they're winning, but I think they've got a good cast of guys. Yeah, they're they're hilarious. And I haven't even mentioned Marc-Andre Fleury, who the pranks with this guy are, nev- are never ending. He's constantly got <laughs> something going on, whether he's taping 50 of Jonathan Marshall's so sticks into one giant bundle and throwing them onto the ice, or he's tying guys' sleeves up in their lockers so they can't put their jerseys on, or he's switching the sticks on, in the lockers, or he's switching their shoes he's constantly up to something <laughs> at all times so yeah it's it's a good room for sure awesome all right so now we'll finish it up with uh with buy seller hold so my first buy seller hold and you have the advantage by the way because i think you're the first guest we've ever actually explained the rules to before we uh, before we started the interview uh but our first buy seller hold topic is vegas wins the cup in the next three years i'll buy it Mm. Um, I think if they don't win in the next three years, they're in trouble mm-hmm. because they've created so much salary cap hell. Those Some of these contracts look fantastic right now, but may not in three years. Max Pacioretty is getting towards the end of his kind of prime years, and he's still owed a lot of money. Marc-Andre Fleury will make $7 million for the next three years. Paul Stasny is getting up there in age. So I think I'll buy they win a cup in the next three years. But if they don't, it doesn't look good for them going forward. Okay. <laughs> buy, sell, or hold. Seattle will be able to pull off the same side deals during its expansion draft that Vegas did. Uh, I'm going to sell. Um, I think the worst thing that happened to Seattle was George McPhee screwing every GM. <laughs> <laughs> it just happened. And like I, George McPhee knows what he's doing. He's a really smart guy, mm-hmm. but he also got really lucky on a lot of these deals. Um, Columbus gave them William Carlson and a first round pick to take Clarkson's contract. That deal looks like a disaster now. Florida trades Riley Smith and sends Jonathan Marshall. So that looks like a disaster. Minnesota paid them Alex oh. Tuck and Eric Halla in order to keep Matt Dumba. That's a disaster. Uh, Anaheim traded him Shea Theodore. Like every deal that that was made in that expansion draft came back to bite the team who made it. And I think GMs this year or this expansion draft are just going to say, you know what? You may take a good player, but you're only getting one. Just take one. <laughs> All right. So my buy seller hold is UNLV hockey follows ASU into division one in the next 10 years, 10 years. Okay. Yeah. I was, I was going to say hold, but 10 years is long enough to where I'll buy it. Um, I do think there's some work to be done. I'm really close with all the guys at UNLV Hockey. Um, I think they do a phenomenal job, and they're they're doing a really good job building that program from what it was two years. I can remember two years ago they were playing at the Sobe Ice Arena in Texas Station Casino, and there were maybe six people in the in the rink <laughs> Maybe six. Uh, only I was covering like for, I was yeah. covering a game for the school paper in college, and it, we're talking. I had to ask one of the players' dads to take a picture for me to send it for this photo. Like it was, <laughs> and and now you look at what they've done. They've sold out every game for the last two seasons, and it's not a huge capacity. We're talking about a thousand people, but it's standing room only. There are people lined up around the building to get in to watch this UNLV team and they're not even division one yet they're Mm. still a club team technically Um, I think the only thing holding it back is they have to create UNLV has to create a women's team in order to match the scholarships for the hockey team and Mm -hmm. it's tough to find a sport that matches the scholarships of hockey so it's probably going to be lacrosse but we're talking about building a lacrosse team uh, club from the ground up in order to get this hockey team so it's not an easy feat but I do think that they will be eventually division one Um, they're in a really good spot is that that jump in interest uh, due to the to this, just hockey becoming such a, a prime ticket there in Vegas? Yes, 
Um, Golden Knights games are insanely expensive, Mm -hmm. and a lot of people with kids can't afford to take five, six people to a game. That'd be a couple thousand dollars. So the other option is UNLV games are like 15 bucks, 10 bucks to get in. Mm -hmm. Um, You get way more reasonable drinks. A lot of the college kids go to them. Um, Yeah, I think it's partially an uptick in hockey, and people, it's kind of a runoff of people who don't want to pay for Golden Knights games. They get to see hockey. And also, because the building only seats a thousand, it's the Golden Knights practice facility, which is a Mm -hmm. phenomenal facility. Um, I think it's just a fun, it's just a fun game day atmosphere, and a lot of people go um, that maybe, aren't even interested in hockey it's just kind of what the college kids do now so um it's good for them they've they've created a a good niche there uh so our final buy seller hold is kind of a a hybrid because we also do a segment on this show called goalie gear corner uh because i'm also a goalie and so basically what we do is we just (laughs) describe uh goalie equipment um it's it's really a profound segment um but so my last as in you do (laughs) my last (laughs) my last buy seller hold is uh mark andre Fleury has the best goalie equipment set up in the nhl um, I'll buy Ooh, which, which setup cur- though? I'll, I will buy his setup as the best in the NHL, but not that hideous gold. Crap. It looks <laughs> oh, uh, the C3PO, as I like to call it. It is the worst thing I've ever seen. And I've told, <laughs> I've told Mark Andre, I hate the gold. It's awful. I, I love his, his normal setup that he uses for 99% of the season. Um, also, by the way, Subban got a new setup towards the end of the season that he didn't really get to use that much because obviously he doesn't play in the playoffs. That's solid, like gunmetal gray, basically the color of the jersey. Oh, hold on for one um, second. Looks hold on. Hold really on. slick. Hold on for one second. This is Goalie Gear Corner. <laughs> there you go. Now you can continue. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so I do like Flurry's current setup. The CM is good, but his the gold I'm not a fan of. I I just don't like the gold, the all gold setup. It it doesn't come off right in the in the light. And the Golden Knights are currently working on their third jersey, and from all indications, it's going to be gold. And the reason it's taking them so long is because they cannot find the right gold. The, to, to get the right color of gold for a jersey is so difficult. So they're working with Adidas trying to get that. Um, it may not even come out this season because they're having such a hard time getting that color. So that's I can't really blame Flurry. Gold's a hard color to do, but I, I'm not a fan of the setup. <laughs> and Jesse, Jesse, Darren did that intro that where he yells "Goldinger Colder Corner" when we had Grant Fuhr on. So you're in good company. <laughs> For hearing Fantastic. that, hearing that, hearing him yell that. Yeah. You know, Grant Fuhrer's actually in town right now in Vegas. He's, he's doing golfing. I don't know if it was last night or tonight, but he's doing an event, like a, a charity event here in Vegas. Well, you guys That's are awesome. you guys are fellow friends of the pod now, so you guys can get together and commiserate <laughs> over that. I definitely will. Thank you very much, Jesse, for doing this. This has been a lot of fun, and we we really appreciate your time. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having Thanks, me. Thanks, Jesse. All right, that was a very fun interview. I think uh, I don't know. I mean, there's there's something great about talking to him because there's a great parallel between what he's very recently gone through and what we think we're going to go through here in Seattle in the next couple of years. So uh, fun to talk to him and, and some good stuff. I'm really happy that we managed to slip in uh, an unanticipated or I- impromptu, if you will, Gilly Gear Corner. I, can't believe he's uh, I, wonder, like, I wonder if that scared him a little bit because all of a sudden you did it. Like, yeah, I know, he, and we he, didn't he, warn him. I know he's probably like, what the F are you doing? Yeah, like, that's why I, I felt like I had to explain it there at the end. Like, hey, <laughs> Darren does this. Just, it's okay. <laughs> it's just a thing he does. Don't worry about it. Yeah, he's done it to Hall of Famer, so yeah. you're, you're okay. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, good stuff, though. Really, really appreciate having him on. So uh, make sure you give him a follow over at The Athletic. And, John, did you say he has his own podcast as well? Uh, he he does. It's called Rink Rats. And so if you're a fan of the Golden Knights, I think it's probably a good good listen. Um I listened to a few episodes and I think it's it's pretty good. I just can't listen to 31 different uh, hockey podcasts on every single team. So 
I, I don't know if I'll, it'll be a regular rotation, but uh, it was enjoyable just to kind of get a feel for what kind of person he is. Yeah, cool stuff. Really good guy. Um, thank you, Jesse, for coming on. Uh, now let's talk very briefly because we really didn't digest everything that happened last week with uh, free agency and all the trades and that stuff, right? So we buzzed through it really quick. This is why we were all exhausted at the end of last week's show. But uh, we wanted to also mention kind of the teams that we think are now the most watchable based on how much they improved. So, John, do you have any thoughts on this? Well, I'd say probably I'm more interested to watch the Devils right now. Now, Mm. I don't know if they really improved that much, but I think they've got some interesting parts uh, at play with um, obviously PK, but also Jack Hughes. And and so I think they're going to be pretty interesting. And then, I mean, he, even Wayne Simmons, I'm kind of a, a, a Wayne Simmons fan, although he hasn't done much in the last couple of years. I just think it's going to be an interesting team that I, I really didn't watch at all last year. So I'm kind of excited. I wouldn't say they're the, my most watchable right now, but I think they're the one that climbed the charts, if you will, the most. Okay. Andy? Uh, I'm going to go a little further south, uh, and I'm curious to see how the Florida Panthers do. So their, ah. their big their big signing, obviously, was uh, Bobrovsky, the goalie, and they gave him like a billion dollars a year, which you know normally isn't – you don't see a lot of goalies making that. But if you look at their team last year, they were they were a top 10 team in goals per game. They had the, maybe the top power play, but they, they struggled uh, in net. You know, they, they had second-to-worst save percentage in the league. By the way, do you guys know who had the worst save percentage in the league last year? Mm. Uh, was it Martin Jones? San Jose Sharks as a team, yeah. Oh, so you're you're, you're right there. Thank you. And, and if you want to get real fancy, the Panthers had the second to worst uh, high danger save percentage in the league, oh. or the, sorry, excuse me, the worst. So goaltending is what their what their problem seems to be. Uh, they they did an okay job possession wise, so it wasn't necessarily that they were giving up a lot of shots. They just weren't weren't making the stop. So you would think Bobrovsky uh, fixes that. It was a long, it was a pretty good term though for a goalie. They do have Spencer Knight. They just drafted who, but he's probably three years out. So I'm curious to see if, if Bobrovsky alone. You know, I don't know that they're a favorite to win everything, but I think definitely think they're a playoff team next year i didn't even think about the spencer knight angle when i heard that bobrovsky had been signed that now he's essentially like fully boxed out from being the starter there for x number of years which is kind of a bummer because they signed him well they drafted him i should say to be what i thought was going to be the franchise goalie but i don't know for most part their goalies take a few years i mean you know not Carter Hart. seven, though. No, I know. That's that's the thing, right? And that's so they're going to have that contract. That, so it's going to be interesting to see what they do there. Yeah. Uh, and my team that I was uh, going to keep an eye on, and I, I kind of talked about them a lot last year and kind of watched them a lot last year, <laughs> but the Colorado Avalanche, I think that they're going to be uh-huh. even more fun to watch. I think Kale McCarr, who came up at the like during the playoffs, uh, is such a fun, young, uh, fast, like puck-moving defenseman. And then they added your guy, Andy, Bowen Byram. So yep. um, I, I think that they're going to be even more fun to watch. And they made this trade for Nazem Kadri, which also makes them kind of dirty and filthy and disgusting. <laughs> so it, it feels like a guilty pleasure because especially being a Central Division fan, like I'm, I'm not an Avalanche fan, but I also kind of – can't keep my eyes off of them. They're they're super fun to yeah. watch. And I think they're going to be even better this year. I'm yeah. with you there. Yeah, they're going to be fun to watch. Uh, and, and did you guys see? By the way, speaking of Codrid, did you see that he had apparently had nixed a trade to Calgary before the one to Colorado? That's so Phil Kessel Which, of him. I know, but it also will make those games kind of fun to watch. Yeah, for the crowd there in Calgary, will already doesn't like him probably, and they probably will let him hear it again. Yeah, I I also was wondering about how the fans in uh, like in Brooklyn for the New York Islanders, or I guess wherever they're playing their home games next year. 
how they're going to treat uh, Panarin when the Rangers play in probably not game. as bad as they treated Tavares that first game back. But. No, it was it was a little bit of a swoop and swindle that he pulled though. So yeah, Islanders don't take kindly to mistreatment. They're they're fans at least, but and they're they're a team you hear out there and these rumors about offer sheets. You hear them connected to a lot of these rumors. but yep. who knows how they are. Uh, all right, so we're going to move on now to our weekly one timers. <laughs> <laughs> Doing that thing is very funny when we're remote and can't see each other. For some <laughs> I can't. You can't. There's no verbal cues. To no. Make. Our first weekly one-timer. One of the uh, free agents that we mentioned that was still on the market at the end of last week's show, Marcus Johansson, who had a big role in the playoffs for the Boston Bruins, has been signed by the Buffalo Sabers for a pretty good deal. Yeah, so it's a two-year deal at 4.5 per year. It's actually not a long-term deal that you usually see with with free agents. So he probably just settled for a healthier number at 4.5 a year for two years instead of take and trying to find a term. That's probably why it took so long for him to find a find a suitor. He's a younger guy, right? Like I feel like this is a really really good move for for Buffalo to kind of get him. But that's kind of what you find, right? When you wait for some of these second tier guys that don't get signed right away, all of a sudden they're they're on the market and you can get them for a little bit less shorter term because they're like, hey, we don't want to end up playing in Europe or something. So, <laughs> you know, so they're willing to take a little bit of a haircut. And um, and I think that's what happened here with Johansson. But uh, really, really good signing for Buffalo. I like this. Yeah, well, the, the market starts to shrink, too, right, as teams try to fit guys in their in their cap. Um, but, yeah, Buffalo, you know, Buffalo's none of us picked them as our team to watch. But they've made a couple of decent moves, you know, as far as like re-signing guys. And they kept Skinner. And, they, you know, I think they were a team that, that have a lot of young players that could if they gel they could be a playoff team this year yeah and i thought they were going to be great this past year and then um they kind of crumbled quickly had coach turnover and all that stuff so we shall see i think they're they're still on the up and up it's just a matter of how long it's going to take before they're a good team again but uh our next weekly one-timer could it possibly be true could our buddy don cherry be on his (laughs) way out from coach's corner and from hockey night in canada well, the news came out over the weekend. Steve Simmons in uh, Toronto, who writes for, for one of the Toronto newspapers, who is not the most respected journalist out there. He, he's, he's had some bad takes over the years and gets ridiculed constantly. But he put out in a column that Hockey Night in Canada or, or uh, Rogers Media, which owns Sportsnet, which runs Hockey Night in Canada, had yet to re-sign Don Cherry for the coming season. And, and he, he thought that meant that maybe they were going to make a change. So that got a lot of momentum over the weekend. Uh, we didn't hear from Don Cherry until just about a couple hours ago, but we're recording this on Sunday night. And uh, you know, he 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 his feelings are hurt, guys. Don Cherry's a little little blue today. Mm-hmm. He he tweets out, uh, "I must say, I'm hurt and disappointed that my friend Steve Simmons was suggesting a Sunday column that Hockey Night in Canada might not want me back for next year. Mm-hmm. I was told a week after the playoffs that I would be back. The question I ask is this: Why didn't my friend Steve phone me and ask me?" Mm-hmm. Oh, so sad for him. I know. I, I feel, you know, just it just hurts me. It just hurts my heart to see this. As I mean, okay, <laughs> we've picked on Don Cherry a yes. lot, right? At the end of the day, like he is definitely an icon in hockey. So if if this is how he kind of <laughs> goes out from his hockey analysis career, that would be kind of sad. Like not to be able to go out with like a whole retirement thing. But um, who knows? He he'll even if he doesn't get rehired, he'll get a job somewhere else, right? Sorry, I'm not gonna feel bad for him. Okay. I think he's. Uh, he's <laughs> I'm not playing a devil's advocate. Yeah, I know. 
I know you're trying to, yeah, but uh, if I you think, had asked me about 15 years ago, I would have been more on like, yeah, this is let's have a, a big send off. But he's lately, a, I'm, I'm, I've been past him for a long time now. I'm just tired of him. All right. He's he's out of touch and he hurts the game. That's that's my take. Our next weekly <laughs> one timer. <laughs> Sebastian Ajo, the Carolina Hurricanes officially matched Sebastian Ajo's offer sheet, and no one is surprised. Uh, no, because it wasn't that that damning of an offer or that hard to match. Right. Okay. Our next weekly <laughs> one-timer. <laughs> the Fred Hutch 24-hour skate is coming up here in Seattle for a good cause. John, I know that you're taking part in it and wanted to talk about it a little bit. Yeah. Um, for people that play hockey, um, somebody's putting on a 24-hour hockey marathon. And it's Pucks for a Cure, raising money for Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research Center on July 20th. Um, we'll put a link in the show notes on how you can get more information. But basically, it's a it's a relatively modest donation, and you get to play for at least three hours as part of a, a 24-hour game. Essentially, the scoreboard never never resets. Get a couple ice cuts, but it's a pretty cool idea right in the middle of July, which is what what I need to kind of get back into hockey because I this offseason's killing me, boys. <laughs> you need how many hours of skating to get you back in consecutive? I don't know. I'm probably going to do about six, but uh, oh, I've been God. I've been playing about three three a week so far. So you're gonna do, you're gonna do six straight hours of those 24 hours? Yeah, we'll see. Or maybe three Ooh. with a break and then another three. Yeah, that's what I was going to recommend. <laughs> well, John, you're a crazy person. Uh, that wraps up this week's <laughs> weekly one timers. We're gonna close the show as we like to do with our tweets of the week. John, what's your tweet of the week? So Kawhi Leonard signs with the Clippers and. Somebody somebody called Petbugs13 tweeted, but how does this affect the Leafs? And then friend of the pod, Allison Lucord, responded with, well, best I understand it, Kawhi is leafing Toronto. Oh, uh, wow. No? Okay. No? Okay. Wow. Okay. That's, wow. That's the tweet of the week. <laughs> All right. Andy, your tweet of the week. Uh, mine is from friend of friend of the pod, uh, Ryan Lambert who is from Yahoo Sports and also on the Puck Soup podcast with uh, Craig Wachensky and Sean McAdoo, who we've had on. And uh, also Kawhi Leonard-themed. Uh, uh, that was a big, a bit of a big news, which was a little bit annoying all weekend. But he tweeted out, uh, look at the bright side, Toronto. You still have Cody Cece. Whew. Boy. Yeah. Pickens. We, we mentioned it was the dog days of uh, hockey. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> All right. Beat that, Darren. Beat All right. That. Well, my, my tweet of the week comes from the Carolina Hurricanes, their official uh, account, which they've they've now appeared a couple times, so they're doing pretty well. It's this busy day today, and it's got a screenshot of their like Apple calendar. 11 a.m., watch U.S. Women's National Team win the World Cup, by the way. Shout out to them because that game was awesome. Super fun to watch. 1.05 p.m., match offer sheet for Sebastian. 3.30 p.m., NBA Summer League Hornets. 5.30 p.m., dinner with Stormy, which I guess is their mascot. Parentheses, no barbecue because he's a pig. Uh, 7 p.m., brainstorm weather puns. And 9 p.m., watch U.S. men's national soccer team. So pretty, I thought it was funny that they just snuck in match offer sheet for Sebastian. <laughs> the the men's at, soccer team was also playing today? Yeah, they played it at 9 p.m. in the Gold Cup. They lost to Mexico this evening. So. Oh. Uh, anyway, okay, so tweets of the week could have. Yeah. yeah so I, Yikes. Yeah, I, I, I want to call out the hockey world, like hockey Twitter. Like, come on, give us something. Yeah. I guess we're begging for something here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when the when the hockey world starts to die down, maybe hockey Twitter starts to die down too. Well, you know, know, like Bob McKenzie and and uh, LeBron are just done, yeah. right? 
They're they're making margaritas. So, yeah. Uh, speaking of which, <laughs> I need to go make a margarita. So let's wrap up the show. This has been episode forty-four. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week. We think we'll be back next week, or we're gonna take a week <laughs> off. I don't know. Uh, see. <laughs> we'll What's see. Going on? Episode forty-five is coming up at some point in the future. Make sure to leave your uh, five-star review on iTunes or on Stitcher, and make sure to uh, subscribe in those places as well as Spotify and anywhere else podcasts can be found. And we'll talk to you all soon. Thanks so much. Bye. Hey.